one of the things you'll notice if you've been attending this church for any, any length of time is about 80% of the time we spend uh, working through a book in the Bible. We think studying God's Word is important. Knowing God's Word uh, is important. That doesn't mean the other 20% of the time we're doing you know, inspirational talks or TED Talks. Um, but we are we're usually through something uh, that maybe is the theme of that season that we're in as a church. But First Peter's been a great, great book. I hope it's one that you refer to often. And let me give you the why of why going through a book of the Bible is so important and us studying uh, God's Word is so important. It's in Romans 10, verse 17. This is the result of studying God's Word, not just on Sunday morning. I hope that's not it for you, uh, but throughout the week as well. It says, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word about Christ. So as we study God's Word every week, as you study God's Word throughout the week, one of the things that happens and it's a big deal, is our faith grows. Our trust in our Heavenly Father grows. Oh, we'll grow in knowledge, most certainly. Uh, but our faith will expand and it will grow. And that's why we spend so much time working through books in the Bible. And we'll have another one after the first of the year, after Christmas time. Um, but if you were with us last week, as he, he finished up 1 Peter 3, the second half, uh, Peter talked about at the beginning in 1 Peter 3, 8, about five building blocks for creating unity. Remember he told this, these persecuted Christians, love one another, support one another, and, and fight for unity. And I encourage you to go back and read those. If you want to build unity on a team at your workplace, uh, at, your, at your home, wherever it may be, uh, they, they're great, great, great word from 1 Peter, uh, or 1 Peter 3, verse 8. And then the second part of this uh, particular chapter, he reminded them the gift they have in Jesus. And that it's not just we know about the gift, but we have to respond to the gift. And Acts 2 tells us how we respond to the gift, right? It talks about to repent and be, anybody remember? Baptized is what we learn. Uh, to repent and to be baptized. It's one and the same. It's, it's not this, this, this second thing that we carry out you know, years later, although some of us, that's our story. Uh, but it's, it's we repent and we're baptized by immersion. And uh, it's exciting. Last week we had five. Uh, people that came forward and said they want to take uh, uh, to take that step of baptism on November 17th, and we're excited for them. And if there's others in this room uh, that you, you're questioning whether it should be you, if you're questioning that, it should be you, by the way. I'll just answer your question. And uh, we would love to have you be a part of November 17th uh, for that great baptism, for that great baptism Sunday. Uh, this letter was written to a group that was struggling mightily. And Peter wrote this as, a, as an encouragement to them uh, to, to keep the faith, uh, to, to walk with endurance, uh, with steadfastness, right, with courage. And it's not only an encouragement to them, but it's an encouragement to us as well. I have coughing fits the last two days, so i got to drink a lot of water, all right, so sorry. And that's why we can title this series what we do, because the only reason it can happen is because of Christ, our living hope, right, that we can experience what Peter is talking about. Uh, I want to ask you a question before we jump in. Um, anybody, your growing up days, whether when you were younger, uh, maybe a little kid, or your teenage years, or in your 20s, uh, made some really bad decisions, and uh, you had to live the consequence of that bad decision, uh, maybe more than one time, uh, or maybe just yesterday you made a bad decision, and you're living the consequence of that, of that bad decision. Uh, when I was younger, uh, believe it or not, I made a lot of bad decisions uh, when I was little. I wasn't always the most obedient uh, child uh, for my parents. 
And uh, that's why I think they're surprised at what I do today. I don't know how that worked out, but it did. Um, but we had, my neighbors uh, dug a big pond when I was early elementary, uh, right next door to us. And that was the greatest thing ever, because we had nowhere to swim. Um, and they dug this huge pond and put a big, nice pier out, you know, out into the pond, great shallow area. And it was, it was the type of pond, they had a lot of fish. You, you wanted the fish to have been fed before you jumped in for a swim, or they would, they would feast on you as you were in there. Uh, but they loaded the outside, the rim of this pond, uh, pond with, with rock. You've seen that, the big rock around the pond. And so dad and mom both told us, uh, don't, don't go jump in the pond off the pier unless we're over there. Because they knew that it wasn't, it wasn't deep enough yet, and a lot of those rocks on the side of the pond had settled down into the pond. And, uh, of course, uh, did Dad really mean that when he said it, was the thought that was going through my head. And so I jumped in, and so did my our neighbor friends. They were just the same age and one couple years younger. And I drilled my knee, my left knee, on one of those rocks, like the sharpest point of one. Uh, and my knee, a scar today, was gushing, and I had to run home, 100, 150 yards home, and, and uh, swallow my pride, and they took me into the doctor, and sure enough, it, it deserved some stitches, right, because of a poor decision on my part. When I was younger as well, uh, we had an old 1982 Mope, Honda moped that was in our, was in our shed, and uh, if the sun was perfectly shining, there was no cloud in the sky, the wind was at your back, it would top out at 26, 27, it's supposed to go 50, I think, and it never, it was just barely ran, and uh, it was a one-seater, so dad would see us at times uh, hopping on it together, because it had like this little carrier rack on the back that's a seat, right, uh, so we would use that as a seat, and uh, my, I have a brother that's five years older than me, another brother and sister that's 10 and 11 years older than me, so the brother that's five years older than me, uh, we would ride it all the time when dad wasn't home together. And uh, so we're flying down the road, top speed, 24, 25, and he wrecked us. The gravel road back then wrecked into the ditch and just lacerated the back of my leg. And, of course, blood gushing everywhere, sickening. And uh, he's saying, you better not tell Dad that it was on the moped. It was a stick that hit your leg and all kinds of stuff. And I have no idea what I told Dad that day. But, again, we headed into the doctor's office, stitches uh, and a scar uh, today to prove to prove the story. Football days, a, a finger went through my face mask, got me right here under the eye, eyebrow, and there's a big scar underneath my eyebrow in, indention today, uh, blood all over my face. 2012, playing basketball with a group of guys uh, in Florida, that's where we lived then. Uh, the rebound came off the backboard, and, and I turned to take off, leg back like this, and it felt like somebody just kicked me in the heel as hard as they could. And I turned around, and there was nobody on this end of the court. And for those of you that have had this happen, you know what happened. And I shredded my Achilles tendon and uh, had to have that repaired. And, and there's a huge scar to prove it. Many of you, uh, your body may be littered with scars today, uh, with stories of where you maybe made some choices that eh, you probably shouldn't have made. And uh, you have a story to tell with it, right? Scars mean you're still alive. If you're experiencing pain today, it means, it means that you're still alive. And if you're in this room experiencing pain, you're still alive. And if you're still alive, what that means is God is not done with you yet. He still has more to do, more that He wants to do in and through you. 
And while there could be some in this room that are, that are limping, like literally limping physically, uh, that are literally limping maybe financially or spiritually or relationally, that God's still at work behind the scenes, right? We learned this in John 16, last week, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, here's the promise, I, I have overcome the world. So in this world we're going to have pain, right? It's inevitable. It's at every turn we experience pain and hardship and trial, but, but growing from it and learning from it is, is optional. Uh, we can either choose to do that or or not. I've even heard this said when it comes to leadership, that, that our, our, our leadership influence or our leadership capacity will be directly related uh, to our threshold of pain. So if we, if we don't go through pain well and deal with it well, you're probably not going to be able to lead people well. And all throughout Scripture, some of the greatest leaders are those that experience some of the worst of the worst when it comes, when it comes to pain. Here's what I mean by this. That God is at work by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life to make you more and more like Jesus. And as you walk with Him, as you journey with Him every single day and and choose to live uh, His way, uh, He is going to make you more like Jesus. And one of the primary ways uh, we can make an argument for today, one of the primary ways that He will make you more like Jesus is walking you through incredible seasons of pain and hardship and trial. So while things are going awful all around us, while it seems like everything that's coming my way is bad, uh, what Peter's reminding this group of persecuted Christians is that God is still doing something good on the inside. This would have been a message of hope for them uh, because they were going through the worst of the worst, right? If it, w- if it was going to be bad, it was certainly happening to them. And many of you have walked that journey as well. Maybe you've heard this line before, but as we deal with pain in our lives, uh, you can either allow pain to make you a bitter person. You ever met bitter people? Aren't they fun to be around? Or you can allow pain to make you to make you a better person. So the question we ask ourselves before we jump into the text is right now in your life, are you are you cooperating with the Holy Spirit, learning what you need to learn, being taught what you need to be taught, being open to God's leading where you need to be open to God's leading? Or are you just taking things into taking things into your own hands? Pain can do a couple things. <coughs> it can allow us to just spiral out of control. Maybe you know people like that. Maybe that was your story. You hit the first roadblock in life, and man, it just just got worse and worse and worse because they made choices that made it snowball. Or in the midst of pain and hardship, we can say, God, I can do nothing with this. I relinquish control to you, and I ask that you would do something that only you can do. God, would you shine in and through me in the midst, in the midst of this, in the midst of this pain? And one of the things that can happen when we do that is pain can birth in us a new, a new perspective, right? Think about some of the hardest things you've dealt with in your life, and as you have maybe come out on the other side of that, you have a you have a whole new outlook on life. You have a brand new perspective. On life that you never had before. Why? Because you went through some tough stuff, right? And God grew you up through that tough stuff. There's a quote I read recently that said, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You ever been there? You don't really know Jesus is all you need. You don't have 100% reliance on him until it's like you don't have a choice but to have a 100% reliance on him. 
So let's open up and, and read 1 Peter 4. I think we're going to go through 1 through, let me re- see here, 1 through, uh, we'll stop at verse, verse 11 today. So let's just read it. He says, therefore, remember a couple books ago that we went through, I talked about whenever you see that word therefore in the Bible, you need to perk up and ask the question, what in the world is it? Is it therefore, right? And usually there's something preceding it or right after it that tells you about the therefore. And in this particular situation, it's coming right after it. The next six words or why therefore is in there. So we could read it this way. Since Christ suffered in his body, therefore arm, arm yourselves, a military term, with the same attitude of Jesus Christ. With the same purpose of Jesus Christ, right? We need, to, we need to take on the attitude of Jesus. And then he says, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Anybody ready for that to be a reality in your life? Or you're just done with sin? You don't desire it? You don't long for it? You don't find yourself in it? Your activities, your motives, your actions are, are no longer uh, tied with that thing of darkness that you ran to so many times? Because Jesus on the cross in that moment, he, as he was on the cross and, and, and says it is finished, he is literally shouting from the rooftop that uh, done with sin, sin no more, sin will have the victory no more. He defeated the sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires. If you're done with sin, the things of the flesh aren't as appetizing anymore, but rather for the will of God. When Jesus suffered on the cross, it wasn't for his sin, was it? He lived a sinless life. When he suffered on the cross, it was for you and I. In our mountainous sin debt, and all the things that we've done that that have said, God, I don't need you in this area, and I'll take it into my own hands, and we'll talk about it later after I screw it up, right? Jesus paid the penalty for all of our sin. He made made the sin debt uh, to read zero that we owed him no longer. He put sin literally to death. The chains of sin that can, that can shackle us and own us. He says no more that if we are in Christ, we can have power over sin. That's one of the great gifts of us being in Christ, right? That we can have power over sin, not because of anything we can do, but because of what Jesus did on our behalf. And for us, this done with sin attitude, it will grow. And some of you can look back over your life and have watched this done with sin attitude grow. Because you've, you've just grown with Christ. You've grown in wisdom. You've grown in understanding uh, his, his word and, and what he means. And, and you want to be obedient to him the best way that you know how. So you're living out, as you look back over the last 5, 10, 15, 20 years, how the done with sin piece uh, has come to fruition in your life in so many, in so many areas. That, that the things of this world aren't as appetizing, right? Remember the song that if we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we look full in His wonderful face, the things of earth will what? They'll grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. That we'll no longer look at the things of the world and crave and desire and want. Why? Because those things have grown strangely dim. Because we've kept our eyes on Jesus Christ. And many of you in this room have had victory over areas where you just you struggled for many, many years. Uh, you've had victory over things that you would run to to fulfill you. And, and now you would say, I no longer need to keep running down that road because every time I go down that, there's nothing down that road for me any, any longer. For you, you could say, I'm, I'm done. 
I'm done. I'm done with sin. So over time, Peter points to that we grow, right? We grow in our walk with Christ. We become more like Jesus. And he points to one of the prime. If you want to, if you want to expedite growth, uh, none of us want to do this to expedite growth. But one of the things that maybe microwaves or expedites growth is pain, right? And is suffering. That you can't come out on the other side and be the same person. You ever met somebody that, uh, or maybe it was you that people, adults would look at you and say, you're like, you're way mature beyond your years. Well, why is that? Well, because they went through a lot of pain. They went through a lot of suffering. They went through a lot, a lot of hardship. And I've heard this testimony so many times in the church, and it's said a thousand different ways. But, but people come to a place where they, where, where they get in their story, and their lives are being changed, and hardship is being defeated, and, and sin is being defeated. And they come to, to a place where they say, I just want to live the rest of my life doing what God wants me to do. I no longer want it to be about me. I yield my life to God. God, I want it to be about you. My pride is gone. My humility is gone. I'm going through this season of pain. I'm more humble than I've ever been. I'm more attentive to God than I've ever been. And pain has a way of doing that, of doing that in our life. I want you to think about this for a second of perspectives that maybe you've had in your life. That maybe you were the one lying in the hospital bed. Or maybe it was a loved one that was lying in the hospital bed and and you left the room that night, and, and what was most important during that moment? Usually not all the things that we allow to be the most important, right? Probably the most important thing in that moment was, was your relationship with Jesus and your loved one, right? Or if you were the one in the bed, your relationship with Jesus and your loved ones that were, that were caring for you. Kind of morbid to think about, but... I've been bedside of numerous people in their final days and, and a handful on their last day and watched their last breath. And uh, there's going to be a moment for you and for me, hopefully it's many, many years away, where the family's gathered around our bed and we're the one lying there. And in that moment, uh, the things of this world aren't going to be a real big deal. The worries of this world they just won't be a big deal to the person in the bed or to the family in the room. And the most important thing will be what I just shared a second ago. In that moment, it'll be your relationship with Jesus. And it'll be your relationship with your loved ones in that, in that room. Nobody in their final days in that bed has ever said, would you bring that, that stock folder over here one more time? I want to breeze through it and take a quick look. Make sure everything's in alignment. Nobody's probably ever said that. Hey, you got any pictures of the car in the garage? I love that car. I just want to see one more picture before the time's up. Uh, the things that are going to be the most important will probably be none of those. So what would it look like for us to expedite, to fast forward our behavior and not wait until those final days to make those things that are the most important then the most important now? Your relationship with Jesus and, and your relationship with your loved ones around you. When we go through pain and hardship and trial, there's testimony littered across this room where you gain a new perspective. You see life differently. You begin to live with what Peter talks about and Paul talks about with, a, with an eternal perspective. You know that heaven is your home. Verse 3, uh, uh, 1 Peter 4, verse 3, he moves on and he says, For you have spent enough time 
in the past doing what pagans choose to do. We're going to raise our hands if you've ever been a part of any of these. I'm just kidding. Do not raise your hands when I read any of these. We don't even want to know. Uh, It says living in debauchery, uh, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They were far from God, the culture that they were living in. And they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living. And they heap abuse on you because you won't, you won't join in, right? I was reading that this week, and I've read this passage numerous times, and you think, wow, right? Was this written yesterday, or was this written thousands of years ago? Because it doesn't look like we've grown up much past what we read in this particular passage. But what's Peter saying in it? He's saying don't join in in the activities, in the motives, in the, in the actions, uh, in, in the attitudes of, uh, like you did before you came to Jesus. But as you grow up in your walk with Jesus, you should be able to see a steady growth pattern that you no longer are a part of those activities or motives. And those attitudes are not a part of your psyche anymore, that you have changed, that you have, that you have grown up. Peter's saying we don't live with a, with a perspective of the here and now, but we live with an eternal perspective. Why? Because we're citizens of heaven. There's something better than we're, what we're all experiencing right now. There's the hope of heaven. Peter would point to it often. Paul would point to, to it often. So what does that look like in maybe, maybe real life? Well, what perspective change should take, should take place? And maybe it looks like this. That while many in our world are living for today, right? All the worries of the day, all the things that are going on to, for today. We're to live for the things of heaven. As Christ followers, that's what we're called to do. While many today are living for themselves, uh, we're to live a life that is honoring, that is honoring to God. And you can see how contrary the tension that's being lived out between these persecuted Christians and those that are living of the world standards that are saying, well, I, I like living for today. And I like living for myself, right? That's the most satisfying. But Peter says, no, as we become a, a Jesus follower, our mind, our mindset should change. It should be, it should be different. And then Peter talks about uh, when you don't join in, right, with the world. When you don't join in with making today the most important thing or living for yourself, uh, the world, those outside the faith, they're going to heap abuse on you. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to belittle you. And in verse 4 he says this. He says, they, which is the world, surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. When someone heaps abuse on you, what's the world tell you to do? Well, fire right back at them, right? I mean, heap abuse back on them. Set them straight. Uh, Make sure that they know you're right and they're wrong. Eye for an eye, right? Blow for blow. We're going to make sure that we set them straight. And we see this today, uh, if not weekly, sometimes daily, don't we, in our culture? And if not careful, what Peter is encouraging this church, Christians, uh, don't go down this road. If not careful, we are, we are just as close to making the same choice. When someone speaks ill against us, we fire the heaping coals right back at them, don't we? We let them know, I'm a person too, and you need to know where I stand, and I'm going to let you know where you stand with me. And, and we will go back and forth with people left and right. But in this moment, when it's so hard, when it's so tough, um, because you want to you get them back and set things straight, you need to look 
we need to look to our ultimate example. We need to look to what Jesus did. And Matthew 5 gives us a clear understanding, the Sermon on the Mount, of what Jesus did in Matthew 5.39. Listen to this. It says, But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Anybody else besides me, that verse doesn't settle real well. I walk up to you today and smack you in the face. You're just like, all right, here's the other side. Smack me in the face on this side as well. We couldn't stand for that. Anybody else think it's hard besides me? And if you don't, Pastor John, he'll be up here to give you free slaps right after service just to see if you are, you know, if it does work out. Uh, but what, what Jesus is teaching us here is, is this is hard stuff. And sometimes that first slap, it comes out of nowhere. And uh, we don't know, we don't even know maybe what the whole reason for the slap was, right? But Jesus tells us our response in the midst of that should be to turn the other cheek and to forgive that person. And if they slap us on the other side, we, we forgive that person again. Powerful stuff. I want to heap abuse back on them, right? Because that's what they brought to me. How can we live this out? Believe me, we can't do it on our own power. Um, we can only do it because of the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the power of God prompting us and leading us in living with an eternal perspective. And it goes on in verse 5. It says, but they will have to give an account to who? Uh, we want people to give an account to us, don't we? Like, you need to, I'm the judge here. Uh, you're going you're gonna to pay the penalty to me. He says, who are you going to give an account to? To him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They're not going to give an account to us anyhow. They're going to give an account to their Father in heaven. So what Peter's saying in this passage is, hey, the they in this passage, those people were made in the image of God as well. They might not be following God yet. I hope they do, right? But they're people. And I want you to love them just as Jesus loved you. I want you to forgive them just as Jesus forgave you. It's not our job to be the disciplinarian. It's not our job to be the judge and the jury. If you're to go to, how many of you discipline other people's kids when you go to the store? Anybody do that? Probably not, right? How many of you ever wanted to? Like give them a little, what, you need to shape up type thing? You, you hear a kid just swearing like a sailor down the Kroger aisle today. You're not going to walk over and swap them, right? And then, and then take their phone away for a couple weeks and, and, and let them know what you think. Um, but our controlling side at times, maybe a silly example, we like to take things in our own hands too, too many times. And we serve a God in heaven that says, let's leave the final judgment to him. You know what our job is to do is to love them and to forgive them and to show them Jesus. First Peter 4, 5, as we, we get ready to land, it says, But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead. So they might be judged according to the human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. We're going to be responsible, and they will be responsible, how they lived in the flesh unto a holy God. And then Peter puts everything in perspective. He puts everything he just wrote in perspective, and he says, The end of all things is near. You're being persecuted as Christians, I understand. I know you don't even want to wake up tomorrow and have to deal with it one more time. But let me remind you, Peter says it's momentary. 
Let me put it in perspective for you. It's, it's the end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back. This is a temporary, temporary thing. This is not the greatest thing going on in your life right now or ever. Heaven will be. And the things of heaven will be. And then because of that, therefore, he says, the end of all things is near. Be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Instead of heaping abuse back on them, instead of getting even, blow for blow, Peter says, be alert, be of sober mind, and you actually need to pray for them. You need to lift them up in prayer. So if you were sleeping throughout any of this message, here's the part where you need to wake back up because I want you to hear this part the most, all right? And it's in verse, uh, verse 8. And when somebody says above all in, in the Scripture, it's probably this is, this is being raised of utmost importance. He says above all. And believe me, if we the church can figure this out, if we the bride of Christ can figure this out, we always hear uh, people talk about church models, and they, they talk about being an attractional church model. Well, if we want to be an attractional church, it's going to be by nothing we do on the outside, but it's going to be how we live this out and, and love people and how we are on the inside. And this is what he's talking about. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. The fact that God would entrust you with a spiritual gift is grace in and of itself, right? And you're called to use that gift, not sit on it. Use it for the kingdom of God. Maximize it for the kingdom of God. Serve the kingdom of God. He says, if anyone uh, speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. There's accountability. If anybody's going to open their mouth about the things of God, there's accountability that goes with that. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ by your life, pretty much. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me give you the cliff note version of those verses. He tells us, love people. Love people well. Are people going to anger you? You bet. Are people going to heap insults at you? A lot. Probably a lot. What do we do in the midst of that when someone heaps abuse on you? We forgive them. What if they do it a second time? We forgive them. We forgive them over and over and over again. How can you ever call me to do that? Give me one good reason why I should forgive this person that is a burden to me, right? Because Jesus did it for you. While you were still a sinner, Jesus went to the cross and paid the penalty for all of your junk, all of your sin, uh, all of your areas that are less than desirable, and he made a way for you. How did this passage, this whole section start in 1 Peter 4? He told us to have the same attitude of Jesus. If you didn't hear anything else today, cling to that. Because if you have the same attitude of Jesus, so many things are going to start falling into place in your life. Have the same attitude of Jesus. I close, I close with this. What was Jesus' attitude? What was his temperament? What was his motivation? 
Well, Luke 23 gives us a good example. Jesus is on the cross. Did he get uh, uh, heaps of abuse piled up on him? He sure did. Was he beaten beyond recognition? He sure was. And he looks down at all the people that just did that to him. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Jesus, the example. He shows us the attitude that we should have towards towards other people. It's the call that should be on our lives. And every single one of us in here need forgiveness, and we need to continue to forgive. How, How often and when should we forgive? We should forgive early and often. Jesus didn't wait till he got down from the cross, got his, you know, his, his wounds all healed up, got a nice outfit on, and then went back to the person. He was in the midst of the trial, wasn't he? He was in the midst of the heaping of insults. And yet, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Pain and suffering gives us a new perspective. Pain and suffering will, will change the way we look at this world and look at this life. And I just wonder in this room today if, who walked in here, smile on your face, ready to worship God. But really what's going on underneath is a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of suffering. It could be physically, something nagging that it's like, it's going away, it's not going away, it's not going away. Something spiritually, maybe something financially, something relationally, for you to come in here and worship God. With a pure heart, it was just tough because pain is riddling your heart right now. I want to pray for you specifically, and I want to let you know while we don't have a specific altar, uh, your knees won't get torn up by coming up to this stage and praying today either. And we would love to pray with you, any one of us, staff or myself. And one thing I'll say is if you're ever going through pain, we were never called to do it alone. I've heard testimony after testimony of CCCers that have they, they, they couldn't imagine have gone through the pain that they did without this body or whatever church you were connected with when you went through that season of darkness and toughness. Uh, we want to love on you. We want to serve you. We want to pray for you. And so let today be that day where we do that. We serve a God that doesn't just heal in the Old Testament days and the New Testament days, but he's still the healer today, and he wants to do that. Let me pray. God, thank you for uh, being by our side as we go through pain and suffering and trials in this life. Uh, The reality is probably every single one of us in this room have a trial and some pain and some suffering that we're daily dealing with. And God, I pray that the message they hear today and, and understand from 1 Peter 4 is that you haven't abandoned them. Just because everything on the outside seems to be not what they want, you're still doing a work that only you can do on the inside, changing their heart and making them more like Jesus. God, for those in here today that need a healing touch, physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially, you name it, God, just the mention of your name, and you can heal in a second. And God, if there's those in this room that need a a, a to be prayed with today. I pray that they'd have the courage to come up front to do just that. God, let this moment be holy and honorable to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.